Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 388. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we confront the ghost of Christmas past and become kinder, gentler people who do more air squats. That's actually one of the deleted scenes from A Christmas Carol. He gets ripped. I am your host, Nagin Farsad, and today we're going to talk about how much money millennials think they need to be happy. We'll also talk about how pretty privilege works for men. We'll ask uh, what to do about addiction to consumerism, and finally, I are highlight from 2023 and our predictions for 2024. Now, I get to introduce this week's uh, panel and what a, um, I mean, Christmas came early by just a few days with this panel, you guys. First up, you heard him on their show before. He's so delightful. He's got this just imminently um, addiction-worthy podcast called Fraudsters that everyone should subscribe to. Um, he's also, just side note, uh, one of the top 10 best Iranians in America. <laughs> there, I said it. Um, and his name is Sina Ghaznavi. Hey, Sina. Hey, Nagin. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Um, we're also joined by, um, he's a a comedian, but he's also an actor and you've seen him in like a million things and he, you've seen his specials everywhere. He's also got a new podcast out. It's, out, it's called Sense is Working Overtime. And I actually, I'm in an episode of this podcast, which was super fun to do. Um, and, I, you know, he just, he's had some of the most iconic um roles in American television because he himself is an icon. It is the one and only David Cross. Hey, David Cross. Hi. Hi. So good. So great to have you on. And before we get into the show, I just want to remind listeners they could go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad if they want to support the show for as little as $4 a month. You get bonus episodes of the show. I mean, if you like the show, get more of the show at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. And don't forget to leave reviews of the show at Apple Podcasts because it helps people find the show. And I just want to let listeners know that we're recording this a little bit early. So if there's news that happened this week and you feel like we should be covering it, we won't be covering it because we're <laughs> recording too early. Um, all right. Let's get into it with topic number one. 
The data is out. A recent study found that millennials who were surveyed said they need to earn $525,000 a year with $1.2 million in the bank in order to be happy. That is their happiness number. Now, there's more data that I want to share with you guys. But first off, just like um, David Cross, how does that number strike you that they would need $525,000 to just be baseline happy? Um, well, I think the whole thing is meaningless and without any merit. I don't know what kind of poll <laughs> this was and whether they were interviewing Millennials in California, what part of California? Was it rural? Was it suburban? Was it urban? Was it, were they, is it the upper peninsula of Michigan? Was it New York City? Was it Florida? I don't know who these people are. I don't know anything about this. And I think uh, it has literally no merit and doesn't mean it's not worth worthy of discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Of this number. Well, let me let me just say I just paid off three hundred thousand dollars in student loans over the course oh, of uh, just over ten years. Shit. And so, as a the oldest echelon of a millennial, I don't know how I'm, I would ever get to this number. I don't know how I would get to one point two in the bank. I don't know how I would get to five hundred twenty five a year. My my checking account has been abysmal for more than a decade. When I told my parents, <laughs> TikTok, dude, yeah, exactly. TikTok. I gotta I gotta stop screwing around. I told my parents I paid off these loans. You know, they thought my dad literally asked me if I was in the mob, which I took as a compliment. <laughs> I took as like high praise. Wow. It's crazy to think that if you didn't pay off $300,000 in loans, you would have $300,000. Oh, my God. Huge. <laughs> I got to run for fucking, office. That's fucking great. Well, I mean, okay. So this, in fact, might be a garbage poll. Um, now, ass- like, uh, assuming that it is or is it doesn't matter there was a number that was associated with happiness um a few years ago i remember there was like a ted talk or something about happiness blah 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 and the number i think at that point was seventy two thousand dollars they found that if people made about seven and it wasn't like a few years ago maybe it was like 10 years ago when if people made seventy two thousand dollars up if they made like twenty thousand dollars earning more definitely made them happier but once you hit around 72 or 75, I can't remember specifically, that's when you started seeing diminishing returns, right? It just plateaued. Like your happiness level wouldn't go up if you um, if you made more than that. So this is this number, you know, it's a lot more. But do you think there there's something about either of those like you know, those numbers that strike you as like a happiness level? Like when you were young and struggling, was there a number that you thought about? Never. (laughs) I mean, in an abstract way, it was just, I don't, I don't want to be poor anymore. I don't want to be, uh, uh, I'd like a source of income. Uh, I'd like a better job. I'd like, you know, to be able to say, Fuck you, I quit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd like to not have to sneak past the landlord whose office was in the um, first floor of the building I was staying in. And, um, and you know, they had one of those like old timey kind of wooden doors with a big frosted glass window, but it wasn't that frosted. <laughs> uh, and I literally would duck and, and leave because I owed rent oh my and God. I didn't have it. And so that in that sense, like I wish I had enough that I didn't have to worry about that thing, which I do now. Um, then I'd be happy, but, uh, but also, um, I laughed a lot during those years. I mean, I did a lot of laughing. I was, uh, you know, my friends were kind of in the same boat, most of them. And, uh, and I just had a good time, you know? So I don't know what, I mean, also happiness is abstract and, uh, and it, you know, means it's, it's highly subjective and, uh, you know, it's like it's 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 so useless to me. It's like that um, when you go to the doctors and they're like, "What's your pain level? Is it one to ten? Where one is a smiley face and <laughs> ten is like, you know, uh, upset?" Right. And then five, I mean, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah. um, six, Cena. four, seven. <laughs> what does that mean to you? 
I mean, yeah, I, I, I think the thing about being young and laughing, like uh, it's, I've always found that like this, this like question about money and happiness or whatever, it's all, it's one of life's eternal questions. And yet when I was in my twenties and I had the least money, um, and sometimes negative amounts of money, I was actually like having a great time. You know what I mean? So, so it isn't, it, it, it's like it, the correlation is, is just not clear to me, um, Obviously, your your goals change and your needs change and you have kids and all that shit. So, like, money does end up mattering more. But, um, yeah. I, here's now – There's here's something from the data of this potentially useless survey um, that I found actually interesting. 62% of millennials said they'd be – they'd happily pay $7 a day for a coffee – um, because of the joy it brings. And this tracks with me. Um, I do spend like an absurd amount every day on a coffee. Do you think previous generations were more likely to deny themselves those $7 simple pleasures? Sina, what do you think? I guess, well, Gen X had grunge music, so maybe they were more brooding about it. And they, <laughs> they were tight with their pocketbooks. And the boomers, you know, they they had their whole thing going on. I don't know. I think millennials have realized that all the stories that boomers told us were lies and nothing that they said was going to happen. All the prosperity lies. None of it was going to happen. So why not spend seven dollars? This is all this is as good as it's going to get. We're not going to get nationalized socialized medicine anytime soon. We're not going to have like lower costs of housing. There's rent crises all over the place. I think I'm one of the few lucky people that was able to like pay off their student loans after more than a decade. Most people will probably be paying them off for 20, 25, 30 years. Yeah. And so why not? Just like what money is whatever. It's like just throw it. Money there's a saying in our home, money comes in, money goes out. Go buy go get that coffee. Right. God bless. I mean, I, think- I don't like coffee that enough to pay $7 <laughs> every day for it. But God bless. But generationally, like my, the idea that my parents who are boomers would ever spend that much money yeah. on coffee for themselves, even though they made enough money to do that, like um, they just definitely deny themselves simple pleasures. Like, well, that what is, about Persian a, parents, makes, too? Again, oh, we got Persian I mean, Im- breakfast. Immigrant, immigrant parents are immigrant not going to spend want- money. Little bit of bread, little cheese, a little bit of tea. And that's like every day I watch my parents eat like they were still in the 70s in Iran. Yeah. Uh, David Cross, what is your what's your position on simple pleasures? Um, you know, the, uh, I'll tell you what, jerking off doesn't cost anything. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, that's free. Um, so, I mean... Simple pleasures are where you find them, and uh, uh, it can be, you might be able to, I guess if you're out and you don't have access to coffee, which you really enjoy, um, then sure, you know, Uh, but also I'm very frugal. Uh, I grew up really poor, and I still have a lot of those habits Mm -hmm. and those, you know... um, ingrained in me and uh um i would figure out a way to make coffee and put it in my pocket and carry it around (laughs) you know what it's so it's i grew up with frugal immigrant parents right and um and i think my way the way it's manifested itself in me is that i definitely spend a lot of money on the coffee every day and I definitely feel guilty every day. <laughs> so that's how I do it. I don't like just make a, a, a some coffee at home, you know, like a fucking normal person. Um, I go through the whole thing that I love, but then I also go through the whole guilt that I don't love. That's very um, that's very Jewish of you. Yeah. <laughs> what brings us together? Um, so okay, let me let's go on to a more serious topic. Um, society has long held that hot girls have a so-called pretty privilege. But a new University of Oslo study, so David Cross, I'm imagining a lot of uh, students in Oslo were a part of the study. This, This new study finds that attractiveness actually has a bigger impact on men's socioeconomic fortunes than women. Was this surprising to you? Uh, not that it's, uh, 
if the information's coming from Oslo, they're all. <laughs> I mean, they're all attractive there. I've been I've been to Oslo, and and it's uh, you're just you feel weird and freakish, <laughs> and like there are some beautiful people in Oslo, men, women, them's, they's, whatever. They're all hardy uh, uh, and attractive. So, are you surprised by that? I think there's. I think it's basically. I'm going to imagine that it was a handful of awkward guys who answered this question and said, <laughs> yeah, it's unfair, you know? Right. And the other guys didn't, you know, didn't consider themselves attractive um, because everyone else is attractive like them. So they're, it's the norm. So they're not, it, they, it's like a lot of Tom Brady's, you know? Right, 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 right. Well, so basically they, they crunched the numbers and they basically found that, um, you know, men, you know, men who were attractive during their adolescent years were more likely to experience upward social mobility, be better educated and have more prestigious jobs and earn higher income. Um, Sina, have you seen this kind of, uh, pretty privilege among the hot men in your life? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not that you not that you are not a hot man in your own life. I sa- I surround myself with equal to or lower than hotness men. So <laughs> it's just all hairy chested men. By the way, if you shave your chest, you are in another echelon, okay? I haven't seen David Cross shirtless. Maybe I have. I don't know. But I'm pretty sure he's got a hairy chest. There we go. There it is. Look at this. We both oh, get, God. Oh, both God. Both just, uh, it's like, uh, this is a different level of carved up men. And I like to do my homework for this show. I like to, I, you know, read the articles and really get in there mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I will say, reading five interviews on this article of hot men <laughs> describing how life is for them, I wanted to commit seppuku. One guy has a six-pack revolution website where it's a fitness program. <laughs> He's just got ripped abs. This is unfair. It's I can't I can't do it. I don't want to. You can't I, I get just, in the way of a revolution, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Listeners have heard me talk about my husband before, and the thing is about my husband, Cena. Have you met my husband? Maybe. No, but he's a hot. Okay, so my husband is a hot, and <laughs> and it's really ridiculous. I it's like I've done. I, I'm I literally working on material about this because um, it's like a weird phenomenon. We also treat hot men who date like regular looking women like they're like you know doing a public service like they're such good guys you know what I mean they're like taking one for the team or whatever and um the the idea the thing is we watched the movie seventh grade together which is a tremendous film from Bo Burnham if you haven't seen it and I remember, and we had a conversation afterwards where I was like, oh God, seventh grade, I remember it was so awful. And I started detailing the ways in which seventh grade was awful for me. And he said, I never went through that. I just didn't have an awkward phase at all. And I was like, you fucking asshole. (laughs) (laughs) You piece of shit. What, and like, that's the thing. I think if you don't, if you're good looking from a young age and you just like don't even have to go through an awkward phase, you're fucking set up for a lot of your life. You know what I mean? And I have seen people, there have definitely been situations where like, you know, like a friend will go and try and get, a table at a restaurant and they have none and then they'll send him up and the and the hostess will be like absolutely right this way you know what i mean <laughs> and i've definitely seen it in action like people are nicer to him and uh so i've you know just in this um survey of one uh pretty privilege definitely you know exists for men in an intense way. There is like a weird evolutionary part of this as well. We did a series on the diamond industry and how it's a total scam, like the engagement rings are a scam. And there's this old principle in evolution called the Zahavi principle, where if you show yourself and expend resources or do something like conspicuous consumption and you do something that's really big, then people will be attracted to you in some way. And so people think that, you know, uh, that if you're really hot and if you like show yourself to be this like big thing, then you're maybe a more trustworthy partner. So that's like a that's like part of this is like ingrained in our DNA a little bit. And then we kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's called the it. Great Gatsby. 
Um, all right, folks, uh, tell me about your pretty privilege. Um, I'm so curious to hear about it. But in the meantime, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue. Today's show is sponsored by Pros. This is kind of, I feel like, you know, I'm on some sort of Lord of the Rings journey trying to figure out skincare. And I feel like this customized skincare line is really got my name on it. Basically, every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skincare, I tried the skincare just recently, is made to order and it's personalized. It's got a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs, like specifically you. And then the way they do it is you take this great, like in-depth quiz, basically. They analyze over 80 factors for a complete view of your life, your beauty goals, Um, Like I have oily skin that's also dry, which is just a fun little conundrum. I live in New York City. Like we've got these four seasons. My my face gets weird during seasonal shifts. Um, I all of these things I got to kind of talk about in like in answering the questions. Um, The other fun thing was they asked us at the end, like, do you like a creamy type of moisturizer or like a less creamy kind? And I was kind of like, I think like less creamy. And they were like, that's fine. Like you can do that. But we think for your skin type, creamier is better. And I never knew that. So I love that there's so much kind of personal information that goes into creating this. I got my stuff in the mail very quickly after I got a wonderful serum. Like I said, this very creamy moisturizer. Um, And this also very just delectably creamy cleanser that just kind of feel like I, I think it's possible that I've been washing my face with just like harsh, harshness for like many years because when I saw this cleanser I was like oh is this what it's supposed to feel like it's supposed to feel like a little bit of a delight on my face that's not what I've been doing so I don't know guys and here's the thing you don't have to take my word for it in a third-party double-blind dermatologist supervised controlled clinical study um, which is like the gold standard for research studies Pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives, which just sort of totally makes sense on a just logical level if you think about it. Just it makes common sense. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% of your first subscription order at pros.com slash Fake the nation um, will be taken off. That's pros.com slash fake the nation. You get your free consultation and 50% off your one of a kind formulas. Uh, again, that's pros.com slash fake the nation. Go and get your just super personalized, luxurious skincare products and hair care products. That's what I'm going to try next. So pros.com slash fake the nation. I am the type of person that has subscribed to things, and I have forgotten about those things. I have paid twice for a children's educational app, and I didn't know that I was paying twice for several months. Until that is, I discovered Rocket Money, and because I use Rocket Money, it just showed up all these things. The thing that I was paying twice for that made me incredibly angry, thank God, Rocket Money ended that for me. It also cancels the subscription for you, so you don't have to like go through the hassle of going to that site and figuring out how to cancel. They actually make canceling very difficult. I don't know if any of you have had the experience, but I have been on a like a roundabout eight exit nightmare trying to unsubscribe to something before. Rocket money eliminates that hassle. It also alerts you to an increase in subscription price. And this is something Rocket Money did for me. It negotiates a lower price for something you already subscribe to. So like for my cable bill, it got me a lower price. And I was very happy about that. Nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about, which makes me feel better because I'm one of them. But it makes me feel terrible because what are we doing? Losing that money. Uh, I don't want to waste that money. And I know you don't want to waste that money. If you struggle 
with these kinds of purchases, if you struggle with finances in general, Rocket Money will help you with the budgeting, help you track your expenses, help you, like I said, cancel those unwanted subscription. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps you lower your bills so you can get back to saving. I mean, me and my husband have been on the warpath and Rocket Money has been a really big part of that. It has over 5 million users with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. The average member has saved up to $740 a year using the app's features, which is, I mean, that tracks for me. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions. Go to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Save the money at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. And we are back and we're ready with topic number two. So we read a piece in Chip Col- uh, by Chip topic Caldwell. Topic number three. Topic number three. Oh, I mean, it's technically, yeah. The first topic is like culture <laughs> stuff and it's two topics. And I know, it's like, why do I do it this way? It is technically topic number three. But it's, for old it's school. <laughs> topic two. The last one was topic one. Two. One B, one A, and one B, or uh, yeah, t- yeah, um, subclause three. Um, so, in topic number seventy-five that we're on right now, <laughs> we read a piece by Chip Caldwell in the Guardian called "Too Much Stuff: Can We Solve Our Addiction to Consumerism?" And in it, he writes about his family drastically reducing how much they consume. They agreed to buy only five new things in an entire year. Um, And with the holidays upon us, I felt it was like a good time to talk about this phenomenon. And before we get into it, I guess, have either of you ever gazed upon mountains of trash the way this guy and his family did and think to yourself, oh my God, I have to drastically change what I'm doing. Does this resonate with you at all? Uh, For me, uh, yes, but it wouldn't matter because of the household I share. My, 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 contribution i would have to get everybody uh on board um and uh and and there are other people in this house who just don't share the same uh feeling about that <laughs> so you you have you've had like a you've experienced some kind of frustration like you wish you could like like expend less or have less trash or whatever but i mean i do i yeah. personally do yeah yeah um, I I feel that because I feel like my, you know, I like, for example, I compost and my husband will regularly like just like throw stuff that's supposed to go in the compost bin in the regular garbage. And I'll be like, hey, just like a quick reminder, like, don't do that. You know what I mean? And he like, you know, and he's just like, doesn't it's not his issue. You know what I mean? It's, it's like an issue for fuck. me. Hots don't give a fuck. They're like notoriously anti-environmental. Hot guys. Um, so it's hard. It's hard when you when you live with other people in your home that like for everyone to be on board is it's very difficult. Cena, have you ever looked at a garbage pile and thought to yourself, "I need to change"? Well, personally, no. But I did a video on these five gyres, the big spinning wheels of trash that are in the ocean and uh, right. a couple of them are, are huge some, some one couple of them are like the smaller ones are like the size of texas i mean these are Jesus huge Christ. they go up to like yeah. big country sizes of it and it's not just america india and china are big polluters and it's like the big thing to fix is is what's terrible is just recycling it's just having like the basic recycling system yeah. and i think for me it's like sure i would love to reduce waste I would love to not be on the hellscape that is Amazon all the time. I'd love to do all of these things. But at the same time, when I throw a piece of plastic away, there's like an 85% chance we can't even recycle this thing. Like a lot of the stuff we throw away isn't even recyclable anymore. Yeah, there's all these yeah. different things where the recycling plants will just reject them and stuff like that. It's just, I don't know how, and this country is addicted to consumerism. We, yeah. It is like, you even hear people talk about it when they talk about the economy, they're like, oh, the, the consumer is strong. That's what's keeping the economy going. And it's like, that's just spending. When they call it stimulus, when they give stimulus to people, they want you to go and spend money on anything. They don't care what it is. They don't want you to pay down your debts. They don't want you to save money. They just want you to spend. So like every part of our culture is gamified so that we keep spending and consuming. Well, that was the response after 9-11 was, uh, <laughs> yeah. it, I'm not joking. Yeah, that was I know. literally what Bush said in a 
you know, statement to the to the United States. Um, we need to get out there now more than ever and and uh, buy stuff, spend money, and um, and yeah, spending money meaning but buying things. But I, I there's two things that are frustrating and bothersome. One is uh, the amount of people in urban environments, uh, New York City being a great example, and I know uh, several people who do this, who will purchase something on Amazon that is uh, available down the street. Yeah. Oh. And, <laughs> yeah. and I don't, I mean, I, to me, it's not funny. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it's infuriating yep. and it's a big part of the problem. And, uh, um, and you, you know, you've seen the packaging that goes into one Amazon uh, and, and just getting it to your door and how, how bad for the environment. One thing is that is at the target down the street or yep. the, you know, the bodega uh, across Richard the street. Yeah. Here, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, whatever it is. And, um, uh, and that, you know, um, and it's not just New York city, it's in any urban, uh, center. So that's, that's infuriating. And then also, I mean, you can, all of us can sit and recycle and, uh, separate our glass from our plastic, from our metal, from our compost, from our trash. But until the, um, you know, United States defense department, I mean, they're responsible for, (laughs) I mean, most of the planet's uh, trash. I mean, we, you know, they have a trillion dollar budget and they, I mean, as many cups as you put in the, in the right bin, that's not going to do shit until the defense department, you know, we, we make them cut their shit by, I don't know, 1%, 0.1, 0.5%. Well, on that, on that point too, David, I remember uh, when I was living in Brooklyn, there was a hardware shop up the street from me and mm-hmm. I remember I bought a drill there instead of like doing it from Amazon. It was just like a mom and pop shop. It had a big old mm-hmm. school hardware sign. And this man gave me like the most grateful thank you for buying a drill from his shop. Yeah. And it was just, he was just so, and so I, you have that one-on-one communal interaction with someone that actually helps the local economy, economy, but also reduces the, the economy of, like, of your heart. There we go. <laughs> I mean, look at look at the damage that the um, and you know it's never going to go back. But the damage that uh, you know Walmart has done to uh, hundreds, hundreds of oh, towns, and I, and I mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, and it's you know it's a matter of. Uh, convenience and uh, you know you are saving money, but the the business model, uh, which is purely capitalistic, is to undercut, and it was what Amazon did and is currently doing to undercut everything else. So that not, and Uber, they're going to drive the cabs away, and then they can charge whatever they want. They're already doing it, but that's. But the, but we all go, yeah, yeah, this is more convenient. Yeah, I mean, the, the you know, I'm one of these people that, like, I don't do online shopping or whatever. And, uh, and one of the things that I think can be legislated upon and I think is, like, a great thing to go ahead and introduce into your state assembly is that the cost of shipping um, should – there should be a cost to shipping and that cost should reflect the environmental impact. So because the thing is we are not paying for shipping by and large um, and we're not paying the like larger cost to society that is being incurred by an individual item being shipped to your doorstep, right? But if we, if we, if we um, put it into the cost of shipping – I I bet you online um, shopping would go down drastically because it, right now it's like we're subsidizing it um, by having this free shipping thing and it doesn't make any sense. Um, so I that's mean, like look, I, I I get it. It's a great thing if you are in a rural uh, or or even suburban rural place where you can't access these things. Right. Uh, but I mean for. You know, the, I mean, just this this shit. I mean, if you're in New York, especially, it's everywhere. And I and I see Amazon, Amazon trucks. I don't know, 50, 70 times a day. Yeah, it's awful. I mean, so so there's the issue. I think of like that. Um, and then the other cultural issue that you were talking about earlier 
which is just that we want to buy stuff, you know, um, and uh, and and that buying stuff has had the impact of like changing the lives of people around the world and and um, increasing, um, you know, like standard of living in places like China because now there there's factories and they can work there and blah blah blah. blah. Like so, the the actually buying of stuff has had a huge impact on the world. Um, so you can't. It's like hard to say that it's all bad. Um, or maybe it isn't hard to say it's all bad. I don't know. Uh, but the the there's like a, also um, the other side of that argument, which is the idea of like going super minimalist and getting rid of your possessions and only buying five things a year or whatever that is, is super classist. It's like a, something that a rich person even has to. It's like if you're poor, you're not thinking about your waste and you know your consumption what do you think about the argument that the whole um question of this is classist i think the like minimalist approach is gets gets you into a different echelon of this conversation right i think there's a bigger conversation of just why can't we just reduce 30 40 percent of what we do most people aren't able to do this you know on, on a normal basis most people live uh, like poor people live in food deserts so they have to have like fast food. So there, there's like a countless problems that are exacerbated by just how the country is set up in, in this way. So I don't know. It feels like I, it, I don't but. think it's classist at all. Uh, I mean, I and I don't think it's a uh, you know, you're just you're talking about uh, changing behavior and changing uh, an outlook. Um, and it, it's. I don't I don't find it classes. Yeah, even from the 80s to now when I was a kid to now the I think the like volume of stuff having it has increased and just the volume like when you you know I think about like when I was a kid um the number of like Christmas presents I got or like stuff like that. I just do think that like the volume of stuff procurement has you know just anecdotally increased and culturally um, it just seems like it does. It, it feels like it can't keep going at this pace. You know what I mean? And also, what are we doing with all this stuff? Um, and also, let's stop having big, huge houses with lots of closets. <laughs> Maybe that'll help. I think that's one of the nice things about living in New York City is it kind of forces you to part with things um, because you don't have very much space. I mean, we we just have asked people for like our kid just turned two in August here. And it was like, don't set, don't give us presents. Like just pump the brakes on the presents. Come over, cook dinner with them, start building like memories with them and stuff like that. People that did bring presents, we like tapered them out. It's yeah, like crap yeah. for the kids. If you show them like a dozen presents oh. and stuff, they're not going to know what to do with it. We got them hit in the garage. We bring out once one every other week yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that. You can't you can't go crazy. I've given my daughter the same piece of used chewing gum uh, for <laughs> six years in a row. <laughs> D- different wrapper, but you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that and that's the kind yeah. of uh, that's the kind of thing the ethic we're talking about. That's minimalism right there. Is is just get reuse that chewing gum. All right, let us move on to topic number. 900 um what was the best of uh okay this is just one of the because this this is the episode that's coming right before the holidays so i want to hear your best of 2023 what was awesome for you could be um personal it could be national it could be global whatever whatever comes to you um and i'll just give you one just to start um I thought it was super fun <laughs> that Ohio upheld a woman's right to choose <laughs> in a referendum. Um, I, I guess super fun is the right way to describe that. Um, but yeah, I, I that was I thought a highlight um, for 2023. I was into that. Um, Sina, do you have one? 
Yeah. Well, obviously, I had my second kid in August as Yay. well this year, so that was that was like yeah. a huge highlight. So 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 wonderful. But but let's be honest, George Santos getting kicked out of Congress before he was even found guilty. <laughs> I mean, there is that is like the closest second place to my newborn <laughs> son. <laughs> Oh, David Cross, did you have one? Um, I mean, I had several. I uh, uh, personally, I went out on tour, which was uh, I, you know, I had to cancel the last tour I had because of COVID that was set up, and uh, so it was a, a such a treat to go out and do stand up all over the country and Canada and, and Europe, and <clears throat> and just it's one of my favorite things, and so that was uh, I was glad things had. Uh, calm down enough to be able to actually tour again. Um, I, uh, a f- good friend of mine, uh, I have a, a house upstate where I spend as much time as possible um, uh, when we can, um, which is less now that my daughter's in school. But um, uh, my friend uh, ran for um, the supervisor of the town up there and won. And, uh, and this guy who'd been in that office for, uh, I mean, dozens of years, I I guess over 12 years and, uh, just not a, not a ethical good guy. Uh, so he, he beat him and that's, and so I'm very act. Think globally, act locally. Act right? locally, so, but also, so, uh, but, but very excited about did, that. Did did your friend have prior political experience? Was this their first time getting into the field? Uh, no, they he ran uh, the prior election and only lost by I think, oh gosh, it was like I want to say eighteen votes or something like oh, that. It was Jesus so Christ. close, there, so close. There was a guy yeah. in um, I think in some town in, and I think it was Colorado. Um, last week who ran for mayor of that town and lost by one vote. And the one vote was that he did not vote for himself. Yeah, he deserves it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Why would you do that? Always vote for yourself. Um, But one thing this reminds me is that like one of my little pastimes in the last few years has been to if if a friend of mine says something like that I and I think they're like have a good head on their shoulders and they say stuff that feels like they want to get involved. I'm always being like, hey, you should run for office. I'm like basically always trying to get friends of mine to run for office. I think um, more people should do it. People have like strong feelings and instead of spending all your time scrolling, you know, run for um, a a local office and work your way up from there. Think global, act local. Um, And so uh, I love that story. Um, A personal um, highlight for me is we talked about this on last week's episode is that I did uh, Magic Mushrooms. I also think I talked about this on your podcast, David Cross, um, because I I found some of... I did find some solace uh, from some of the stuff that had plagued me. So if there's a way that people can find solace from things that plague them, whether through psilocybin or not, I I think uh, go for it. Life is so much better when you don't have that weight. Yeah, that Um, was a very, that was an interesting story and everything you were talking about. I found it very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and uh, I think what's crazy too is like that. I the the I think the the results have continued. It's not like they dropped out. Kind of like when you lose weight and the weight comes right back. Um, mm-hmm. That has not been the case for me. Um, and also, I just want to say on another global front, um, this is this is happening um, now, but this episode will air next week. Um, the basically all the COP twenty eight nations agreed to move away from fossil fuels. It's uh for the first time, and um it doesn't mean anything. It it may not mean anything, but it may mean a lot of things. We really don't know. Let's see how it's implemented, if at all. But I do think at least now, okay, the nations have all embraced that this has to happen. You know what I mean? Um, so I thought that was nice. Uh. Cena, did you have any more highlights? Oh, highlights for me for the other ones? I don't know. George Santos was really just so fantastic. <laughs> I, we did a whole series on him and we hated him so much. And we were just, we couldn't, we couldn't believe that he went down so quickly. I mean, really. But it like, wasn't, really the, was it that quickly? I mean, I feel like it was a full, 
I mean. But they did it. The, I think the quickness was he got charged or indicted. And then they were just like, no, we're not even going to wait for the trial. We're not even, which is like, if you really think about it, you, 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 you probably should have waited for the trial or for the conviction. But right. like emotionally, like get the guy out of there. I mean, I think he was corrupt to the point where he didn't help anyone else in the Republican Party. Yeah. He was like corrupt for only himself. And so they were like. And I want. actually, when that happened, I took it as, again, uh, ever the optimist, as a sign that there is a shift in the Republican Party, which is that we don't want to just tolerate criminals anymore. No, 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 and no, And I know no, there's still no, a big... No, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, not saying, I'm not saying a full shift. I'm saying a small, a tiny, a tiny, tiny okay. shift that they're like, we just don't need yeah, to fucking yeah, it, have it every was, goddamn criminal in this party. It was practical because the New York Republicans were the ones making the most noise and they were right to do so because they're saying this guy is going to bring us down. You're going to lose numbers because of this guy, because of yeah. New York State. And that coupled with uh, today, the um, uh, uh, being uh, giving the Democrats power to redraw the maps, which came out today, mm -hmm. the, they are going it's going to be tougher and they're going to lose numbers in the House. That's all it's about. That's all it's about. Well, tell me um, what what do you feel uh, predictions wise? Let's get into some 2024 predictions. I'll start. I'm curious to hear what you think about this one. Uh, 2023, I felt like was very big on AI, talking about it, thinking about it, and more importantly, panicking about it. Um, I feel like we saw so much concern, so much worry, and we continue to see that. And I think we will continue to see that. My prediction for 2024 is that it'll sort of like Y2K itself into um, a, a calmer state. Like we're so like concerned about AI taking over, becoming self-aware, whatever it's going to do. Um, that it, in a similar way that we were about Y2K and after Y2K happened and nothing happened, like everyone's like, oh, I guess it's fine. And part of the reason nothing happened is because pe people were so panicked that they immediately started to put all these guardrails and change the systems or whatever so that Y2K wouldn't affect the entire globe. Um, what do you think about the AI panic? Do you th How do you see it changing in 2024? Uh, David? Well, I I don't uh, agree with the Y2K analogy. Y2K was like a glitch that uh, was potentially in place that was based on complete conjecture and erroneous information that, of course, didn't happen. Um, AI is uh, so that was a singular thing. And AI is uh, sort of like a um, almost like a spreading uh, like a, 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 the the atom that splits and doubles its, um, you know, the amoeba that splits into two and then four and then uh, whatever that's called uh, when cells do that. I think that's what AI technology is going to be like. And we're at the very, 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 very beginning of it. And I, I think it's, uh, I, I uh, understand your sense of it. And I, and I uh, would like to think the same thing, but I don't, uh, I don't. And uh, when I saw this thing on whatever, some website somewhere uh, today about <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, Tesla introducing their AI robot, um, yeah. like Elon Musk in charge of that shit? You trust that guy? <laughs> no, but he's not actually, he doesn't actually have the skill to make any of that. No, but but, um, right? but like we're at the very tip. We're at the very beginning of mm -hmm. the yeah. technology. It's it's crude in the, in the way that you look at an old, you know, uh, Texas Instruments uh, computer, right. a Commodore 64 and, and playing... Uh, what was that Oregon Trail or whatever, you know, like right, like uh, right, Atari right. Pong or whatever. And look where we've come since then. And I think that's that's the where we are now with AI. And uh, but it's not as controllable as, uh, you know, a video game. Cena, uh, thoughts or predictions? Yes. Yeah, so thoughts on at least on the AI thing that you're you're referring to. We're in a space race right now with AI, 
whether it's a company or as a country, the United States with our, you know, Googles and Microsofts and stuff like that, they're in a space race against China to just get as much of this training data into their large language models so that we can get the one that rules them all. That is really where mm -hmm. we're at. I think there is a sentiment that it could like the panic could die down. I think one of the reasons why it was so crazy right now is because big companies were firing departments of people. I mean, interest rates went up. So there was like, no one was able to borrow and like move money around cheaply. If that happens next year where interest rates go down and all this money starts flowing, that kind of covers up problems. If the stock market goes up, it kind of covers up some things. I don't think the AI thing is going to stop like or slow down or not be. It is going to, the volume is only going to turn up exponentially over the next three to five years. And I think once you start seeing, you know, huge parts of the economy get co-opted with AI, then you're going to have to start seeing the government come in, start providing support if it, if it will. And you're going to have this huge conversation that has to happen in our country of how do we support people that have been displaced by artificial intelligence? Uh, okay. And then do either of you have a prediction we can close out this segment with? I think 2024 is going to be the year of the hots. <laughs> Mark my words. Yes. Mark my words. Okay. Sina? I have two predictions for 2024. Uh, my first one is that there will finally be peace in the Middle East. And my second one is that I'll finally get the lobotomy that I've been waiting for. <laughs> oh, so by Middle East, you mean your own re genital region or something. <laughs> exactly. So um, much peace. Silence, even. So, yeah. Um, folks, do you have any predictions for 2024? I'm so eager to hear what they are. That is the end of the show. What a fucking utter delight the two of you have been there. I mean, I'm so glad we're going into the holidays with this episode. Uh, thank you so much. I want the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow you and all the wonderful things that you do. Sina, where do they do that? You can find me at Sina now, S-E-E-N-O-W on threads and Instagram. Please don't X me. I'm trying to leave that hellscape. Uh, and then check out Fraudsters anywhere you listen to podcasts. David Cross. Where do they find you? OfficialDavidCross.com. And uh, again, I have the podcast Census Working Overtime, uh, which drops every Thursday um, on the same network, uh, HeadCom. Or where I don't know how it works, but you where, where you listen to podcasts. Uh, so, yeah, uh, there. And... And everyone should be subscribing to that show. It's so wonderful and it's so unusual. Um, and it is really, truly a, a, a creation um, from David Cross that you'll love. Um, and you know where to find me and all the things that I do. I hope that you're having a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. Um, I want to thank everyone who makes the show a possibility. Uh, that's our wonderful producer, Andrew McGuire. Thanks to Gabby Alter for our theme music. Thanks to everyone at HeadGum for making the show a possibility. If you have any thoughts or ideas, you can reach us at podcast at gmail.com. And we will be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast.